Welcome to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience Podcast. Join Danny on a journey through the historical island of Ireland, its people and the wild Atlantic way, which is Ireland's last frontier. Experience the music and the culture that makes up the longest coastal driving route in the world. Now, please welcome your host, Danny Houlihan. Welcome to the Wild Atlantic Way here on the banks of the Shannon River in North Kerry Island. Welcome once more to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience for the second year of podcasting, I may say. I will, in the short podcast, stand on the first tee and look back on one of the most famous, iconic, groundbreaking developments in sport in North Kerry that is our famous Ballybunnan Golf Course in my hometown of Ballybunnan. In modern times, thousands of visiting golfers pay homage to the Queen of European Golf, which is our famous course here in Ballybunion, North Kerry. Steeped in history and many rounds of golf, its stalwart members, who set into motion the development of the world's finest golf course. In the last few years, the famous course has been updated by a top-class World Golf Course construction company, Even the famous Murphy's Irish Open, which was held there in the year of 2000, backdropped by countless visits from top-class international golfers from around the world, has made Ballybunnan a world-leading golf course. While there is a plaque erected by Ballybunnan Golf Club on the boundary wall of the grounds of the former Castle Hotel Ballybunnan, marking the centenary of the club, there should be more plaques erected near the same site, mentioning its founders, who financially kept the club going for decades. Through their hard work, they are not forgotten. And its famous secretary managers and greenkeepers, caddy masters and caddies, who played a vital role and contributed to the employment in the area of Ballybunnan and its hinterland. A debt of gratitude is owed to them, both male and female, for their hard work, which is a tribute to their memory. I say thank you. In this short round, our podcast, I will give you a taste of its origins, just a taste, as there is a piece of work researched out there by my old friend and fellow piper, the late Patsy Costello Ballybunnan, who was a member of the famous club and a friend who I may say is sadly missed by Danny and everyone who knew him. Places that I'm going to mention in this episode, like the old Castle Hotel, are gone now, which, with a bit of foresight, could have been safe for tourism indeed a heritage site. Today, the location of Ballybunnan Golf Club's first meeting is marked by an empty site which has not been developed. When visiting Ballybunnan, local people will direct you to where it was. Indeed, another plaque should be placed there to highlight its importance as a place where members of the Black Watch Regiment stayed, wireless station engineers and the first visiting golfers who were instrumental in the development of the first Ballybunnan Golf Club. We travel back, back to the faded brown pages of old newspapers of the day in 1893, which gives us an insight into the period and the early golf club. From the Limerick Chronicle, as seen on the day, quote, the inaugural meeting of Ballybunnan Golf Club 
took place at the Castle Hotel on the 18th of August, 1893. Attending that historic meeting was Mr. Cray Listowel and Mr. Carling, who were nominated as vice presidents. At the meeting, it was agreed to ask Lord Listowel to allow his name go forward as president. Unquote. I will break from the quotation just to give you a small bit of background. It should be noted that a portion of the area of Ballybunion at that time was owned by the Earl of Listowel, a man by the name of Hare, who rented parts of his estate to various landowners for their lifetime, thus the subdivision of the area with so-called landlords. Technically, they were just tenants. Bonding the golf course, there were several landowners. It was not just George Hewson. Hewson became owner of the lands of the area later on in the 1880s. I go back to the quotation. Quote, The prestigious position of honorary secretary was given to Mr. Darcy of Ballybunnen and Mr. Moran of Innesmorlestol. During the inaugural meeting of the newly established committee, the club proposed a vote of thanks to George Hewson, J.P. Innesmore, whose land he permits to be used for golf rent-free. This excited the meeting as the area had now a first-class hotel and a railway station to bring golfers to stay at the Castle Hotel and walk that short distance to the first tee. It should be noted that a line of the Lartigue mono-railway system operated to the fledgling course, where lime killing for making lime was in operation by the local landlord. Limestone was quarried from the foreshore and brought to this killing to be processed. Rock was blasted from the shoreline for building purposes. Thus the weakening of the shoreline commenced, which in the future will cause massive coastal erosion in the decades to follow, resulting in the loss of one green, the old second, and further sections of the golf course along the Ballybunnen coastline to the mouth of the Cashin. Again, from all newspapers of the period I have seen. Quote, At that time, 12 greens were constructed upon the links, owned by George Hewson, J.P. Innesmore. Over time, the links were to be upgraded to the full 18, with additional greens, bunkers and fairways, additionally added if members so wished, unquote. Thus the development of a golfing paradise commenced, unquote. When golf was first played there, before the official date of 1893, we don't know. It was related to me many years ago that golf was played within the rough sand dunes pre-1893. However, at the moment, I have no research to back this up. I will keep digging away, though. In that respect, visiting golfers were requested to book their tea times at the newly established Ballybunion Golf Club by contacting the treasurer, Mr. N. Darcy, in Ballybunion. In 1893, George Hewson, landlord in Asmore, was offered the position of acting president, and it was at this time he let the ground to the club for the fee of £10 per year, for the first three years at a pound. Included in the lucrative deal, it was agreed that Mr. Hewson and his family had full membership without paying a yearly subscription. The landlord was now charging the fledgling club and acting at the same time as vice president for the use of his sandals as well as free membership, which may I say is well documented locally. He later became president in the year of 1896 and died on the 4th of December 1896 and is buried in Dyshirk Graveyard, Lixna.
During his time as vice president and president, it should be noted, he continued to allow thousands of tons of sand to be removed from the course along Santa Road, which is from the present Third Green, Fourth Fairway, Fifth Fairway, Sixth Fairway, all of war within the dunes. It has been stated that in one year alone, 250,000 tons of sand was removed from the golf course, not to mention the complete removal of thousands of tons of stone from the foreshore that included seaweed, rock, and midden shells for manure. This would in decades to follow result in massive coastal erosion by sea and ultimately a massive bill for the golf course even to this present day. It should be noted that as a local landlord at that period he had the right to allow removal of the sand from the area. However, there was a result from his actions. Massive coastal erosion. Before the landlord took up a position as vice president of the club, he was embroiled in several local controversies, as we read in the local newspapers of the time. The first one was by attempting to halt the rights of way on the Castle Green. This resulted in a court case taken by the famous crusading parish priest of Ballybunion, the late Father Mortimer O'Connor, or Father Marty, who won the case and restored the rights to local people to walk on the famous Castle Green. That included the piper Thomas McCarthy a well-known Ballybunham musician and piper who was cleared off the Castle Green by the advancing landlord, who in his wisdom wanted the grounds to be included in the sale of the Castle Hotel. His plans failed. The landlord walked away from this area empty-handed. It should be noted that the landlord was quarrying at the face of the Castle Green at that time. A quarry existed there. The proof that remains today of the blast hole from where the black powder was placed are still to be seen in the rock. A local story relates that one day Hewson gave orders for the charges to be laid at full. A massive explosion was heard around the village, which angered the locals, as the resulting explosion, too close to the ruin, caused the castle's outer walls to fall. What's the connection, you might say, with the golf course? If he had his way, the castle would have been knocked forever. Many decades later, the image of the castle, which he tried to knock, was adopted as the emblem of Ballybunnan Golf Club. Not satisfied with this, the landlord moved again on the area to enclose the Bally Strand. Quote, Cork Examiner, Monday, July 19, 1880. The Strand or Forsher of Bally to Mr. George Hewson for his arrangement. Unquote. This period was ushering in the end of the landlord's power in the area, which was waning. The attempt to stop local poor fishermen to fish from Rahuna to the mouth of the river, again he failed. With numbers in excess of Six to 10,000 people assembling at the Castle Green at a protest against him. This was noted by the local newspapers. This part of our history is important for historians and students to study as it highlights the area and the golf course at that time and the interaction between landlord, local people and parish priests during that period. Times were changing. While he did give out bullets to kill rabbits during the Holocaust of 1846 and 47 to feed people and many other good deeds, the landlord did evict it was part of our history, a part of our past. All that remains of the old beloved landlord is a picture proudly on display in Ballybun and Gothlove. It's well worth a visit to see him, a part of our past, a part of our heritage. The landlord period of the club very important to understand and appreciate who did what and what contributed 
to the foundations of the famous golf club. During the research for this episode, I have visited the grave of the second president of the club in Dyshire Graveyard in Nixnaw as a mark of respect. He's there in his final resting place, surrounded by trees with the sound of a river running in the distance. May he rest in peace. Serious and interesting facts. The dunes were regarded highly by all visitors for their unique terrain, adding to the game of golf. However, the famous early course suffered from an invasion of hairy-tailed pests called rabbits. It was stated locally at the time that the greenkeepers were planning their immediate extermination and ultimate downfall. These furry-eared visitors, no, I don't mean tourists, were causing extreme damage by boring the greens, fairways and tea boxes, not to mention the theft of golf balls, cucumber sandwiches from visiting golfers which at that time were rare. No, I don't mean cucumber sandwiches, golf balls. During the Great Holocaust of 1846 and 47, before the course was constructed, the landlord handed guns out with boxes of bullets to the warden master to shoot on sight these evasive hairy-tailed creatures who dodged a bullet, so to speak, within the safety of the high sand dunes. In the future, enthusiastic greenkeepers armed with loaded weapons would plot their daily downfall. Rabbit stew would be order of the day. Much to the bane of the secretary manager of the course at the time, who had seen several of his famous greens rotivated by these furry, fast and formidable lively-paced animals. The dry nature of the terrain and soil makes the area ideal for the game of golf, which can be played in all weather. At that stage, a golf professional was employed to instruct the den members in the game of golf. Again, from the old newspapers, quote, Favourable with men, and it is whispered locally, is that the popularity of the game in Ballybunnen is owing to both sexes being admissible for membership. The ladies had arrived on the course and were adding their touch of extreme beauty and elegance to the game of golf. Much to the delight of the local landlord in the area at the time, who was, according to historians, happily anticipating their arrival on the course, he would be there to lend a hand. This enhanced the early game of golf in Ballybunnen greatly, and added to its charm and pleasure. Incidentally, no male members objected to this arrangement. They were very happy indeed. I say they were. Tales from the Course I have many stories and tales in my archive that I will in future release into the public domain concerning the activities on the famous links, but I shall refrain for the moment. OK, I'll let you have one. This was related to me by a former member of the club who has since died and is playing another round of 18 in the famous course in the sky. 
He was a true member of the club and a great golfer. This incident occurred in the early days of the links again, when there were only a few holes constructed within the famous sand dunes. Enjoying midday tea and salad sandwiches on the lawn of the Castle Hotel Ballybunion, which, as I stated earlier, were the first meeting of the club in 1893, had been held only a few years previously. A four-ball made up of two gentlemen and two ladies who had just taken up the game of golf decided to play a few holes in the warm afternoon, making their way slowly along the dirt road to the club, which was following the line of the Lartig monorail. They reached the old pavilion, which was the first clubhouse, a small corrugated iron structure that had clubs, etc., and was sufficient at that time. After receiving their scorecards and additional golf balls, the four ball made their way to the first tee. That's where the tuck shop is today, now the sixth tee box. That's according to the story anyway. The day was calm and the sun was splitting the stones. A soft breeze was coming off the Shannon Estuary. Added to the atmosphere as the four ball teed off. The first gentleman drove his shot way right and just beyond the midway mark of the fairway. The second gentleman, who was so bad at a game of golf, his nickname was called a slicer, who sliced his ball into a sand trap, narrowly avoiding a two-ball, who were in the full throes of a passionate embrace, mm, the game of golf. The first gentleman walked to his ball and was happy he was in a strategic position, nicely placed for his approach shot to the green. And according to early golf etiquette, not leaving the ladies play on, made his way back to where the ladies were. Also not letting the first man, of course, have the full attention of the lovely ladies. The second gentleman, we call the slicer, had walked up and retrieved his ball from the sand trap. And after apologising most profusely to the newfound lovers of golf for intruding on the progression of their game, discovered to his horror and embarrassment the male in question was the local justice of the peace at that time who issued a stiff rebuke in his direction. He dropped the shot and pitched up to where the ladies were. Quite happy he was. It was the only good shot he had that day. The four-ball played on, with the courtesy given to the ladies, who addressed their respective ball, and again down the centre of the rough fairway they went. The shouts from the gentlemen were, in admiration of the lovely ladies, were, here, 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 great show, well done. The slicer now put on his glasses. He still could not see the fairway. He addressed the ball, took an unusual backswing and followed through. Hitting the ball with a loud impact bang, tore up a huge divot with the ball, the divot went further than the ball, and so did his club, which followed, and was placed further than his ball, which was in hot pursuit. The second gentleman, whose first drive was way right, approached his ball. Quite happily, he was ahead a shot from his opponent, who was at that stage feeling very depressed and crestfallen, apart from the encouragement from the lovely ladies in his company. Addressing his ball, the first gentleman was in the process of his follow-through, when he stopped and issued a disgusting barrage of insults and shouts in the direction of the green and flag beyond. There, between the golfer and the hole, was like a small army of furry-eared creatures in full enjoyment of their daily rotivating of the first green. Ignoring the golfer's disgusting rebuke, the rabbits continued to nibble the green. In a full temper of rage, the gentleman took one strong backswing and follow-through and put his ball into the air. It was a fine shot, but it landed and knocked out one of the rabbits flat out on the first green, near the flag. Surprising the other rabbits, 
who rallied around their fallen comrade, one which ran off with a gentleman's ball in his mouth, into a nearby rabbit hole, never to be seen again. The gentleman again issued another barrage of disgusting obscenities in the direction of the elevator green, shouting louder. One of the ladies felt ill and fainted on the fairway. Immediately the slicer came to her aid and dispatched his caddy back to the pavilion for help. Luckily, a doctor and a justice of the peace were on the first tee box. On seeing the commotion, made their way to the stricken four-ball on the fairway, one of which was lying flat on the fairway. One of the caddies made his way back quickly to the warm master, who grabbed his loaded shotgun and made his way onto the course, and made no haste, until he made eye shot of the first green, just shy of the first sand trap, where the two-ball were still in the process of a lively game of golf. Pointed his firearm in the air and let off a shot that rang over the first fairway, scattering the rabbits to another strategic safe position on a sandhill overlooking the second fairway. The rabbits were taking no chances. They were under fire and had lost one of their comrades. This resulted in the second lady golfer fainting. Smelling salts were called for now. The justice of the peace and his lady companion, who were in the sand trap, discussing the game of golf, were shocked and outraged, with the lady golfer in question, screaming hysterically, ran out of the sand trap for her sacred life back to the pavilion, where she got assistance from the secretary at that time and the few caddies that were on duty. Whiskey was handed out and a happy atmosphere prevailed. The justice of the peace who was very irate that his morning pleasure of golf instruction had been ruined, issued a severe warning to the one master to return to his station and plan the annihilation of all rabbits on the course forthwith. The doctor had arrived with the JP and attended to the needs of the two lovely lady members who were stretched out flat on the fairway. Soon after this, aid and attention were given. They were revived thankfully and were very appreciative of their efforts and that of the slicer who had stayed as a gentleman golfer at their side during their awful golfing ordeal. The game of play was suspended, and the ladies were accompanied back to the castle hotel, arm in arm with the slicer, where glasses of whiskey were served with rabbit stew freshly killed. And accounts of the day's horrendous game were relived over and over again. The slicer was hailed as a hero, with the ladies paying him more attention than the man ever got from any woman in his life before. Even the lady who was with the landlord enjoyed the rest of the afternoon walking around the castle green listening to Carty the Piper play his pipes. The landlord at this stage had gathered himself together and made his way over to the departing group which included the doctor and J.P. and issued a reprimand to the gentleman who caused the incident in the first place never to return to Ballybunnan again and swore if he caught eye on him his firearm would be produced and aimed in his direction. Needless to say, the disappointed gentleman made his way to his bag and clubs, only to discover all his balls were stolen and his ham sandwiches the rabbits had eaten. The rabbits had struck in a retaliation move for killing one of their comrades. The poor soul walked back to the Lartig railway station, alone, and travelled back to the stole, never to return again. The justice of the peace departed with his horse and trap, in a foul mood, that his game of romance and golf was thwarted, but before he left the area... He evicted a few tenant farmers, which made him very happy indeed. He would return another time with other ladies to promote the game of golf and etiquette. The furry animals survived the Norman conquest, even old Cromwell himself, and the rat of the local landlord, armed with rifles and bullets. Now and again they have been seen. Are they planning a return? Sadly, I've finished my round. I'm on the 19th hole at this stage of the story. Do you blame me? Which is just a taste of the full tale. I will be back to the course in Ballybunnan again in the future to finish my story. 
Again, this is just a draw and a fade to the tail. I'll pitch up again to the flag in the future. If you are travelling from the United States or Europe, bring your golf bag, book your tea time at our famous golf club, well in advance, and stay in our local accommodation in the town of Ballybunnen and support our community. By the way, on the first tee, be careful of our local graveyard to the right of your first drive. It's dying to meet you. That's another story for our golf section. Bye for now. Sloan. Thanks for listening to our show. Through its people, its heritage and its rugged coastline, this is truly Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Bye for now.